shoulder. That's significantly early. Um, one of the nurses tells us, it's just Abby and I in a hospital room, and she is super pregnant. Um, one of the nurses says that there's reason for concern for Abby's well-being. I see this, this entire pregnancy, even though we'd gone through this once before, this pregnancy felt different. And there was this irrational fear that had gripped me that something was going to be wrong with this kid. That's not a typical, if you know me, that's not like a typical MO for me. Um, I'm typically the eternal optimist, um, excited about things, blah, blah, blah. That, so it is super rare, super weird, and it definitely felt like the enemy was trying to do something. And so I was... I wasn't convinced, I was believing that these prayers we were saying were going to be answered and that he would be born healthy, but there was this irrational fear that, was, that the enemy was attacking with. And so when, this, when, the, when the nurse said that about Abby and her potential disaster, that I, the way I heard it, double the terrified, right? Like, what just happened? What did she just say? So 10 days in and out of the hospital leading up to AJ's birth from June 10th to June 20th of that year. And then following his his crazy traumatic birth, which is another story for another day, terrifying scenarios to then elation. But then we still had a week in the NICU. We found out one of the things going on with Abby was some gallbladder issues, so we were back in the hospital two or three months later to have her gallbladder removed. We were racking up medical bills faster than we could count. Abby's income at the time was as a substitute teacher. If you've ever been a substitute teacher, you know that's one of those jobs where if you don't go to work, you don't get paid. You also automatically have summers off, free vacation, I guess. So every day she's tied up trying to grow a healthy human. She wasn't getting paid. And these medical bills were just like, whoa, wait a minute. I even remember calling ahead and saying, hey, can you give me like a ballpark what what to expect? And they're like, no, we don't do that. There's too many variables. And so like every little extra plastic container that the hospital brought in, a fresh one for every new thing that we had, I was like, I wonder if that's like another 50 cents. Like, can you reuse the 12 that we have over in the corner? Like, I'll never forget 2011. So today, we're talking about when pigs fly, this this series we've been journeying through. Um, And today we get to talk about the miracle provision. The miracle provision. Like most people, money can be tight, right? Right? You might be a single parent, limited income, raising three kids on your own, and there's always feels like there's more month than there is money. Maybe you have a solid income, but you still struggle, and you're dealing, the expenses are really high. You're dealing with insane amount of school debt, medical bills, insurance, braces, you name it, things 
always seem to throw up that throw in that you haven't budgeted for. You have kids' activities, money's tight. There's a there's some churches do this thing. Um, God is good all the time. All the time. I think that we could sometimes say money's tight all the time. Right. Things that we can, a lot of us can identify with that. So I'm going to pray. God, I'm asking for you to come right now. God, may these not be your words. Maybe, may these be yours, not my words. I'm not an expert in this area. But I do believe you've invited me to be a mouthpiece today. God, may this time be both encouraging and challenging. Come Holy Spirit. I'm going to be super honest with you. Some messages are harder than others as you wrestle with preparation. This one has not been easy. And it has only increased and intensified. Uh, we got home last night, and honestly, I fell asleep at like 9 o'clock, and then I woke up at 9.45 knowing that I needed to, to review my notes and everything. And I was up past midnight, and then I was up first thing in the morning. It was on my mind because I think that God wants to speak something, but there's a battlefield here. And I don't think that this is a battlefield that we always engage in in church, but this is one that we are not going to shy away from in this church because we believe that God is bigger than fill in the blank. And so I'm probably going to say some things today. I hope what I speak is truth. I know there will be a lot of truth. There's also some me in here, so take it with a grain of salt. But I invite you that if you feel a little barb, sit with it and see if the Holy Spirit isn't saying something because not all truth is comfortable. So wrestle with it. And I will communicate to you that I am an unfinished work, that I am still wrestling through some of this, but I will, con I will commit to you to be transparent and be honest. And I might even stop and say, hold on, I need to re-say what I just said in a different way. Because I'm not going to be perfect in front of you, but I do believe that the Lord wants to speak. Because this is a lot of times the one area where sometimes we just think, you know what, God, you are big and you do all the cool things on the spiritual realm, but when it comes to the practicality of my finances, you're not bigger than that. And we might not verbalize that, but something in us says, you're not bigger than that. The good news is there's countless examples in Scripture of people who have feared that they didn't have enough. So we can identify with people in Scripture. You know, we wrestle with, like, is the Bible for today? or Like, if, if we, that is something super clear. We see time after time after time of people who have wrestled, these stories of people who have wrestled, like, God, I'm, I just don't know that we're going to have enough. The good news, if you're writing notes, I can't even remember what we put in the, I, it changed so many times for me, so you may write this somewhere in your notes. In every story of need in the Bible, in every story of need, there is a miracle of provision. Go digging. Find the search. Do the search. Figure it out. Look for it. In every story of need, there's a miracle provision. Thousands, hungry, thousands of hungry people on a hillside. Jesus says, you feed them. The disciples are like, wait, what? 
Like that'd take everything we could ever scrape together to, to feed all these people. We only have these, these, uh, these five loaves and these two fish. He says, you feed them. If you're familiar with the story, everybody on the hillside ate that day. And at the end of the day, that one little lunch pail turned into 12 doggy bags for those disciples to go home. At the end of the day, there was 12 bags of food. I don't know, I don't know why. I'd like to kind of think that those were like, those were one for each of the disciples, one of his like staff that were there that he had said, hey, you do the feeding. And they got to take some home as a reminder to say, see, I got you in this. I love doing impossible stuff. I love blowing your mind. I love showing up and showing off. Here's my showing off. We not only had enough, I got enough for you to take home. You're going to be eating on that for a few days. Or there's a, the prophet Elisha, and he's talking to a widow, and she's scared for her future. She's, I don't, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. So he asks her, what, what do you have? She says, I really don't have anything. I just have this small jar of olive oil. He's like, okay. Well, take out those containers that you have over there. And he asked her to pour it out. And as long as she had those containers, the oil kept flowing. She never ran out. Look these stories up. They're faith building. They're encouraging because God does show up. There's been other stories where um, there's bread from heaven. God provided for, for decades this bread from heaven that fell for his people to eat. They might have gotten sick of it. They might have gotten disgruntled that it was always the same thing, but he provided what they need. God brought another person meat from birds. They're starving out in the middle of nowhere. Birds fly up and they got meat in their mouth and they drop it down. Hello. I felt like Steve Parker there, right there. Hello. <laughs> another scenario. This guy's running away from God's calling in his life. Jonah, right? Overboard on the ship. He's out in the middle of the water. What God provide there? Big old fish. Swallow him up. Seems a little weird. It actually is. But God provided the fish to transport him and to allow for that time and space for him to say, you know what? I cannot run from this, God. I get it. I cannot run from this thing that you're inviting me to do. In every story of need, there's a miracle of provision. In January, I was reading Bob Goff's book, Love Does. If you haven't read it, pick it up. It's a good book. Um, and uh, in this book, he talks about this idea that he does with his kids. He does this thing called a 10-year trip. And so he, um, he's a super cool guy. If you're not familiar with him, um, he's a good social media follow. He's a good speaker if you Google him, but um, Bob Goff. And so he does this thing called a 10-year trip. And so he tells his kids for their 10th birthday, that's a biggie, right, that they, uh, they can go anywhere in the world, that he wants to, he wants to take them on an adventure. They, they pick the spot. So it could be Paris. It could be Australia. It could be London. You name it. We're going on an adventure for a 10-year trip. I thought, man, that is super cool. Like, as a, as a really engaged dad, like, that's something that fires up my heart. That'd be super cool. And then I thought, well, that's cool for him. You know, he's an attorney. He can afford to do that kind of stuff. 
I'm, you know, I'm in ministry. I don't get to do those kind of things. But attorneys, lawyers, that's why he can handle that kind of thing. And I tell you what, immediately I felt convicted. As soon as I had that thought, as soon as my heart went from like, oh man, that's a really cool idea, to, yeah, woe is me. As soon as I had that thought, I felt convicted and I felt a need to repent for doubting the capacity of the creator of the universe. I felt him say, do you really not believe that I have the capacity to give what I want to give to who I want to give it to and provide what desires I put on your heart? I said, God, I am sorry. You are the God of capacity. Like none other, like no one can compare with. So mom and dad go on a trip. If you've been around here, um, you know that my, my littlest brother lives in Nairobi, Kenya. I hate him for it. Um, and, uh, but they come home every other summer. And so we get to see them two months out of two years. And that aches, right? There is this longing that we grew up and he was in my hip pocket wherever we went. I hung out with high school kids. He hung out with high school kids. I did it when I was in high school. When I was in youth ministry, I did it. He was, he was one of our key leaders all the time at Campus Life, the ministry that we've been a part of. You name it, for, for, a, for the first two decades of his life, basically, um, he was in my hip pocket. And then, and then he moves to Africa. What the heck? And so we see him two months out of two years. And so mom and dad, on the summer that they don't come back, mom and dad a couple years ago went on a trip to go see them in Nairobi and see their world and see everything. And so then their hope is that one summer, John and Riley come to us, and then the other summer, mom and dad go to them and visit. And this is a nice little cycle, so at least they get to have an annual visit with, with their kid. So I was like, man, like... I know that that's a big deal. Like, everyone in our family wants to do that. Everyone wants to go over there and see that. And, and so I just thought, well, that'd be the cool 10-year trip. Like, we can't all afford to go, but what if, what if Lisa's turning 10 this year? What if? And so I called up Dad, and I asked him how much it would be for a person to go to Kenya um, to, to visit John and Riley. <clears throat> and I felt led... For I shared this idea with Abby, and she's like, you're nuts. It's my baby girl going for two weeks. And, and I said, I just felt led to pray for us to get a tax return this year that would cover the amount. I don't know why God puts stuff in your mind sometimes, and it's like, okay, whatever. So I, I prayed, because it wasn't something that we had, we were capable of doing it of ourselves. And so when we took our taxes in, we got the exact amount we paid for. The exact number that Dad gave me was the exact amount that we got. And so on March 31st, what is that, two Sundays ago, Nan, can you show that, that picture? This was the scene <laughs> in our living room. As a 10-year-old girl was told that God had provided. This is actually a still frame that the video is pretty intimate but I I took a screenshot of this moment but I'll tell you the moment from when she looks down to up and her mouth is closed to the moment it hits her I've watched her do this at least a hundred (laughs) times because 
He's the God of capacity. He put that desire in my heart. And then he grew my faith by how he provided for it. And so this summer, when mom and dad go to Africa, they get to take their 10-year-old granddaughter. I wish I could share with you more intimate moments, but I didn't get permissions beforehand, of different reactions of family members. As this has grown the faith and anticipation of an entire family. Now, sometimes it's like this. And, and it's almost like a Santa Claus gift, right? I'm all over Steve Parker today. <laughs> Sometimes it's a Santa Claus gift and that, that thing just like falls into your lap. Sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes he invites you to be a part of the process. See, if you haven't noticed, mom and dad are in ministry too, so they're not like rolling in the money. So an, an international trip every other year seems a little, um, little extravagant maybe. Well, God provided an, a opportunity for a second income so twice a week on most weeks dad's over at the plasma center donating plasma so that he can have after two years worth he gets to go visit his son and daughter-in-law so after two years God is providing in both of those circumstances God is providing in both of those circumstances he's the God of capacity Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. God is the giver of all good things. He provides abundantly. It's important to note right now. God meets your needs. He doesn't meet all of your wants. Now that, that's probably more of a, a want. Now he, he, it is, he is not limited to simply the needs that we have, he has the capacity to step in sometimes and say, I get that that's a, that is a desire of your heart. That's a, that was more of a want for us. He's not limited. He can do that stuff too, but he doesn't always choose to do that. He does always choose to say, I will meet your needs. So there's a difference between what we need and what we want. Nan, can you show that, that next picture um, for me? Oh. 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 Okay, that is what I want. That is what I want. That is a 2019 Chevy Colorado with four doors so I can have the fun and the kids, right? They get to have the fun with us. I can see my kayaks in that right now. I have wanted that truck for a long time. No, not the 2019, but whatever, the, you name it. That is, that is what I want. And so as I'm preparing this message, I thought, if I could have one thing, just. And so then, could you show the next picture? As I'm preparing this message, I hop on Facebook for a minute, and one of my buddies that works at a dealership posts this new Toyota Tundra that they just got in. And I thought, I might just have a new dream truck. My, that's my favorite color. Gray is actually my favorite color. I have, I have a theory that gray makes every other color look better, so I love the color gray. That, is, that color is called cement. I can see my two kayaks in the back of that right now. Oh. 
So literally, I get, I get blasted with a want as I'm preparing. Susie thinks I'm heading in the wrong direction because I drove her Ford around yesterday. She's got a Ford F-150. And, and so I don't really care. If God wanted to bless me with a brand new Ford, I would be like, sweet. But for whatever reason, I've always liked the bow tie on the front. But then this Toyota throws a little wrinkle for me. Okay, I'm just throwing it out there. That is freaking beautiful. Okay, so that's, that is what a want is. We need clothes. We want that designer handbag or the new pair of LeBrons. Elijah. <laughs> we need, my notes say Jordans, but I knew you'd resonate with LeBrons, right? Okay. We need rest. We want that 14-day all-inclusive at a resort overlooking an emerald blue ocean. We need shelter. We want granite countertops, wood floors, a 70-inch TV, a three-car garage, you know, two for my cars, one for my boat. <laughs> I bet that could haul a boat. Needs and wants are different things. I'm going to tell you something. Our two-year-old son, Drew, right now, he's got this response when we give him an answer that he doesn't like. You know what he does? Ooh, my belly hurts so bad. <laughs> what does that have anything to do with you needing to go pick that up for us? What does that have anything to do with saying no to a popsicle? Oh, I think we do that with God. Oh, God, I want it so bad. We're like a bunch of little two-year-olds. There's a difference between a need and a want. So today we're going to talk about three principles of God's miraculous provision. We might need to go to like a blank screen. I'm distracted by that. <laughs> um, principle number one, when God guides, he always provides. When God guides, he always provides. Isaiah 58, 11 says, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. God doesn't provide for all of your dreams. He provides for his will, his plans for your life. Some might think, God's not coming through for me. I got a house payment due the same time my car payment's due. And I got that vacation that I felt like the Spirit was leading me to book in faith that he would provide and I'm still playing off Christmas of 2014. We need to recognize that maybe God met our needs, but we spent it on our wants. Don't hear me wrong here. I get it. There are medical bills. There are things that are unforeseen. I get it. I live this life that we all live. I am not sitting here as like, you know, giving financial advice and I've got a million dollars in the bank. That is not accurate. If it did, I would have maybe 25, 30, I don't even know how much that dream truck costs, but I would have that much less than a million dollars in the bank. But I wonder if there are times in our life when we have spent what God has provided to meet our needs on our wants because, ooh, our belly hurts so bad. His provision isn't a get-out-of-jail-free get card. 
for our stupid decisions. Some of us are in financial disarray because of situations out of our control. Please hear me in saying that that is not what I'm talking about. And that I do believe he will provide for that. But I do believe that many times we make decisions that are based more off of our wants than our needs. And sometimes we even, I'm spitting right here away from my notes, but sometimes we even do that on behalf of someone else. Oh, but I want this for them. I want them to have this Christmas. I want them to have, it would have been, we would have been doing that if we would have booked that trip before, before we had that tax return meeting. The good news is, when God directs you, he provides. There's an example from the Bible, Abraham. If you remember, if you've heard this story before, more than anything else, he and his wife wanted what? Yeah, a son. For years, for decades, they prayed. He and Sarah prayed and they waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed and they waited. We're not talking about like even a three-year thing. We're talking like decades and decades and decades. Think about that one thing in your life that you feel is like, God, I've been longing for this so much. You, I feel like you have placed this desire in our hearts. What is that thing in your life? God finally does it. He gives him a son. He gets to raise his boy. Then God puts Abraham to a test. God says, take your son to a mountain and sacrifice him. Especially if you're in church maybe for the first time or you're, you're hearing this story for the first time, you're like, wait, what? I waited so long for, for God to provide this, and then what? You're telling me to sacrifice my son, like kill him? You know what? I want you to do something. Can you show that next slide for me? I want everybody to say this out loud with me. One, two, three. One more time. That's what comes to me when I read this passage. He must have been like, God, you are out your mind. You, you are, you're what? There was no scriptural relevance. I just thought that was funny. Okay, so humor me there. We've waited how long for this? God, you, you, we have waited how long for this, and you want me to do what? You want me to do what? Think about the scenario of a father and his son walking to this mountain. They're, they're hiking up this mountain, and the little boy, they, he's done this before. He's been around. But he's like, Dad, Daddy, where's the sacrifice? I don't, I don't get it. We got the sticks to burn. We got the weapon to kill. We got the rope to tie down. Daddy, where's the sacrifice? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will provide the lamb. They reach the top of the mountain. Abraham courageously obeys God and ties his son to the altar. Like, what? He raises his knife over his son. At this moment, we all cringe because in, all, in our culture, none of this makes sense. 
But their culture was totally different. It was a totally different deal. But at this moment, we all cringe. But the angel appears as he raises up the knife, and the angel says, do not lay a hand upon the boy. I know you fear God. And I imagine Abraham just like falling to a knee and just like weeping and sobbing. And at that moment, he looks over. says, Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. I think of the emotions of a father. I don't know how old I was when we had a 30-ish, when we had our kid, first kid. I don't, I've lost track. 10 years ago, so I'm 37, 27, <laughs> old enough to forget. <coughs> it comes with age. <laughs> but I think about even waiting twice that long and knowing that God had promised something, whatever that is, that you feel like God has promised you, whatever that is, falling to the, the ground saying, God, I waited so long for this. And I love this boy so much. And you're asking me this, this one thing that means more to me than anything else? You're asking me to do what? And the relief when he just succumbs to that. What is that in your life that means so much to you that it has the threat to take the place of God in your life? Looked up and there's a ram caught by its horns. Abraham was living his life fixed on the will of God. How many times are we that? How many times can, how many days of our life can we say that about ourselves? That we are fixed on the will of God. And how many times are we living fixed on our lack? On our lack, fixated on our lack. I said that wrong. Are your eyes, is your heart, is the narrative in your mind, it, it, are, you, are you fixed on the will of God or fixated on your lack? And if that's the lens, lens you're looking through at your life, you're going to see what you describe as an unfaithful God. Not only that, the actions in this are hugely impactful on those with whom you have influence. This isn't just something that happens in you you have an impact around you. If you're always treating your circumstances as bigger than your God, what kind of stage does that set for the generation following in your footsteps? 2011's fear that I described was so rattling to me because, like I said, I once had a friend describe me as an eternal optimist. I didn't know how to take that. David, there's always a silver lining with you. I was so fear-gripped in that spring. Faith's not something I often have to dig deep to find. The reason I get to have that benefit is it's been modeled for me. I remember days when I was little. I remember my parents talking about and making a choice. Do we pay the bill or do we pay the tithe? And they tithed, and then we'd go back out in the car in the church afterwards, 
with no one knowing what was going on, and I remember a back seat full of groceries, and I had to move them over to squeeze in. I remember Sundays where offering wasn't good enough for the minister to get a paycheck that week. And I remember a family friend showing up at the door. I, I, I remember him showing up. I don't remember if it was money or a bag of groceries. It was a check. I remember Marion coming to the door to help provide. And so I get to have that benefit of that. Talk about like generational blessings, right? That is one of those very practical ways of why faith maybe isn't necessarily something that is my biggest battle. I have other battles, clearly. Look at me. That isn't necessarily one of them. That was why that 2011 thing was so weird. If we pursue his will, his provision will follow. Abby's got a friend at work. I'm going to call her Harriet. I don't know why Harriet, but her name's not Harriet, but we're going to say it as Harriet. This couple struggling with infertility. When Abby and I found out we were pregnant with our third child, Drew, it was bittersweet at their staff meetings because they're like trying to celebrate number three for us, and this other couple was experiencing yet another setback. The one thing they wanted. And this, this staff is, her staff at work is really close together. They felt this call to be parents, and God put it on their, their hearts to do this thing. And so then they started, you know what? It's not going, okay, God, we, we feel your pull. We're going to foster. We're going to start fostering. We had someone in here last night that was, I got to hold this sweet young boy who's three years old, so I, basically almost the same age, just slightly older than our, our third child, Drew. I got to hold this sweet boy. He came right up to me. He put his head on my shoulder, and he just laid on me. It was. It was that. And as I was talking with the couple fostering him, he has been in five homes before his third birthday. That is a significant, a significant area to enter into in, the, in the, carrying the banner of the kingdom of God. And so this, this young couple said, we're going to foster. They go through the process. They end up getting two kids, a boy and a girl. Fostering led to adoption. And while they were going through that process, the birth parents, they found out they were pregnant again and they wanted the couple to have their third baby as well, who they got from birth. It's just, we're celebrating our kid, our, our number three, within like a year. They're having their third. What's even more crazy is as they're waiting for baby number three's arrival, they become pregnant themselves. God had put something in their heart and provided for what he was calling them to. Four kids in a span of less than two years. And I know some of y'all are saying, please, Lord, do not call me to that. <laughs> but that's what God had for them. And he provided. And I'm going to tell you what, I think that's my favorite Christmas card this year. I wish you could see the joy 
if it was appropriate, I would share the picture, which you could see the joy on their faces. When God directs your steps, he will always put provision in your path. When God guides, he always provides. Second thing, God miraculously multiplies what is given. Sometimes God does it all. He sent a fish to save Jonah. He sent bread from heaven. Sometimes God wants to build your faith, and he invites you to be part of the miracle. What does he do? He asks you to give, and then he multiplies what you give. When did God multiply? We talked about that widow earlier with the oil, right? When did he multiply the oil? When she started pouring it. When did God multiply the, the loaves and the fish? When the boy gave his lunch. It's out of his hand. I've taken that. I've taken that step. I've handed over. My mom made me enough basically to last me through the day of following around. I don't know what he's doing there by himself anyway. But he's, he's got this sack, this basket of food. He gives it away. Then God shows off. When did Abraham become father of nations? He offered his first and only son. I don't want this to come across as a prosperity gospel. If you're here very long, you will recognize that that is not at all the MO or the theology of this church. In fact, if you give $100 and, and today and, and you go outside and all of a sudden your old 97 Corolla is a BMW or something like that, super cool, okay? I want you to put it on Instagram. You're going to get a lot of likes. It'll be really cool. That isn't because of anything we said today. We do need to recognize that Scripture is clear. God miraculously multiplies what is given. This generous God, this is 2 Corinthians 9.10, this generous God who supplies abundant seed for the farmer, which becomes bread for our meals, is even more extravagant toward you. First, he supplies every need plus more. Then he multiplies the seed as you sow it. Now, that scripture is taken totally out of whack by the kooks on TV at 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday night, and you're like, who is Peter Popoff, and why would you name your kid that? If you send him $100 a month for a little dose of his holy water, you're stupid, okay? I, I can't believe this guy's still on TV. That's not what we're talking about. This principle goes all the way back to the tithe. What's a tithe? It's the first one-tenth of your income. There's a distinction there. It's not 10% of your income. It's the first 10% of your income because God always has to be first. 2008, a few years before the crazy 2011, I was blindsided by a layoff on a Friday. I had just made a career change. 90 days in, I'm blindsided. Some of you have heard the more extensive story. I'm totally broken. Broken in a way I've never been broken in my life. Shattered. Sunday morning, I walk in this side door at church, and Dad's standing there, and he says, Hey, will you do offering today? Not like, will you give your offering. Will you stand up on stage, and will you invite other people to give to their faithful God? 
because he's so faithful, he always provides. Sure, Dad. Just lost my income. I don't know how I'm going to make it to pay our next mortgage. We had just bought this house. I have no idea where my next paycheck's coming from or when it will come. But sure, I'll get up and invite people to give to this faithfully providing God. You know, prior to that, I hadn't shared much from stage. And here we are over a decade later, and God has shown up a lot during our offering times over the last 10 years. And that continues to grow my faith. I'll tell you what, I don't know if there's been one time over the last 10 years I've ever prepared in advance something to be shared during that time because it's not even necessarily designed for that in our service. But I have these like out-of-body experiences that I'm like, where did I like sit down sometimes? I had no idea. And God shares these things with us and he has taken that little bit of pouring out and says, okay, I'm going to get you out of the way and I'm going to show off real cool. I'm going to tell you this. Close your eyes and listen to this. There are very few things that declare in your own life that God is your provider, like honoring him with the tithe. There are very few tangible things like that. You can open your eyes. I just wanted that to hit home. The world even has a phrase for this, right? Put your money where your mouth is. If you're new here, we are not trying to ramp up a really cool big one-time tithe today. I don't care. I want you to go home and I want you to chew on this. And I want you to, there's, we're going to talk more about that. I'm not going to get sidetracked, but no, that's not the heart. One of the best ways we acknowledge the Lord is our provider is by worshiping him, worshiping him every time he gives us an increase. Tithing is returning to God 10% of what he trusts us. We could be scared and shy away from this, but the, the Bible talks a lot about money. It's a big, we think a lot about money. So in this church, we are not going to shy away from talking about money because it's a big deal. It affects every one of us. There are some things that are like pornography. We could talk about that on a Sunday morning. We will talk about that on Sunday mornings. That doesn't really affect everybody. This one, there's not anyone who's outside the scope of this. Tithe is his anyway. Scripture says it belongs to him. Some of us are thinking 10% in a way. God says, if you don't believe me, put me to the test. Test me in this. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. I love God who's going to dare you. Just see if I won't do it. Try it out. It's not logical, but it sure is cool. Then what's really cool is God multiplies what we give. So, so far, what do we know? We know, one, God, when God guides, he always provides. Two, when, when God, or God miraculously multiplies what's given. The third thing you might be a part of God's miraculous provision. 2 Corinthians 9.11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity will result thanksgiving to God. 
I could share a whole bunch of stories here, but I'm going to cut those out. For time, I want to share one thing. Can you show um, the flyer from last night? And then, um, Pete, would you mind just standing up real quick and just sharing what you asked to share earlier? Thank you. So, pretty tough deal. We're still praying for healing. One very practical way is some financial provision. I don't have a number, but Kenny and Laura and Pam and some others, I, I'm sorry if I'm leaving you out. It's not about, you know, that it's not about that. Put together this thing, and they said, okay, let's have a dinner at the church, and let's raise some money. Let's do a Facebook fundraiser. Let's raise some money. I know it's in the thousands now. I don't know that it's, what you know, a few thousand, five thousand. I'm not sure where it is. You might be a part of God's miraculous provision. That is living that out. That's a real-time, real-life example. That's why this room was packed last night. Because more than financial support, wasn't it cool to have some of that just feel a little bit of love? The people come out and say, we see you, we love you, we recognize you. Here's a little bit. And then the people's response is, thanks, God. They're thanking God today. Because a handful of people said, you know what, just maybe we might be a part of God's miracle provision. See, fear asks, well, what if I run out? Faith asks, well, what do I have to give? Fear says, I, I don't have enough. Faith says, my God is more than enough. Fear says, I can't afford to tithe. Faith says, 90% with God's blessing goes way further than 10% without, or 100% without. 90% with God's blessing goes way further than 100% without. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and his glory. In Christ Jesus. Sometimes he will miraculously 
meet a need through you. And that is really cool when that happens. Back to 2011. In December of that year, remember we were, Abby wasn't working, medical bills racking up. I'm like, wait a minute, you charge us for that? I could have swore you charge us for that too then. Who the heck are you coming in? You have a baby, you get bills from like so many different places. We actually got a notification from our insurance company that we had hit a $10,000 max out of pocket mark that year. And anything else we would need to be fully com- covered for the rest of the year. We had three weeks. So I said, Abby, quick, go break your arm. <laughs> Seriously, though, you know what we did? The, her dentist had told her, you really need to get your wisdom teeth taken out. So we signed her up right around Christmas time to get her wisdom teeth yanked. A few weeks later, we got a bill for $1,000. We were like, what? Apparently, your mouth isn't a part of your body, and that, you know, avoiding sickness isn't a part of keeping you healthy. That wasn't a part of our health coverage. I'm going to be real vulnerable here. I made $27,000 that year from Youth for Christ. I mentioned before she was substitute teaching, which she wasn't doing much of because she was on bed rest or in excruciating pain. We paid something like $900 a month for insurance. Because we had to have the, like, the extra maternity coverage. We were paying all this extra money so they would cover us in case we wanted to have a baby. But then when we had the baby, they were like, sorry. We had a mortgage. We had everyday expenses like we all have. Here's what I'm going to tell you. We paid $11,000 in medical bills all $11,000 of those as they came in in cash. And I would tell you I have no freaking clue why or how, except I do. It does not make sense that we made it out of that year without being up to debt in our eyeballs. I'm not saying it always works like that. I am saying we tithed. I am saying where he invited us to generosity. This isn't about us being super cool. This is about God being completely rad. Because when you do the math, that doesn't add up. But in the kingdom economy, somehow it does. And at just the right time, when we needed it most, we would go out to our mailbox, and someone had taped $200 bills to our mailbox on the inside. Probably would have made it very long if it wasn't. But I can't tell you, who, who's the gentleman at a, that, that was around the Hannah Center for a long time, wore a towel around his neck? Granddad Jim. Granddad Jim. I didn't even know that dude. And I don't remember, but I remember him doing some things that I still get chills thinking about that dude. You're nodding your head because you know. You've seen this dude operate in the calling of the Holy Spirit on his life. James. Yeah. Nice. And praise God he did. When God guides, he always provides. God miraculously multiplies what is given. And just maybe you might be a part of God's miraculous provision. 
Can I have the worship team come up? And I, they either love me or hate me, Smokey, but I'm going to let you know I need, to, I need to throw a curveball your way. Can you do the Good to Me song again instead of the one you had planned? I don't know what you had planned, but I need the, can you, can you manage that? There, he's going to make it work even if he's mad at me right now about it. <laughs> he's the man. <laughs> because I want us This is a hard sermon to preach because if we're honest, this flies in the face of a lot of our circumstances. And you could stand up here and just say, I'm dismissing you as a liar because that's not my reality. And if we're even more honest, we think this is the area of our life that God isn't actually bigger than. And so I'm going to ask them that good to me song again because I want us to just close the service focusing on the goodness of God and how he does desire for you to have. Um, Nan, could you throw the picture up of Lisa again? He, his desire is to give good things. His desire is that. For our needs and then some. For our needs of a meal, and then 12 baskets over. That moment began with repentance, though. I had to say, God, I am sorry. And I need to make my behavior fall in alignment with my belief about you. So we're going to collect our tithes and offerings if you feel in any way that this is some manipulative ploy for one Sunday to be a bigger tithe than other Sundays, put your checkbook away. But if you believe that this just might be an opportunity for you to say, you know what, I have trusted you as my Savior. But I haven't ever actually trusted you as my Lord, that I fall and surrender everything that I am to you, and I follow you, I follow you as my Lord and my Savior. If you haven't added that component to your relationship with Jesus, just maybe today's the day that you say, you know what, I'm ending it now. I am ending my own desires, my own drive, my own ambition, my own, oh, my belly hurts so bad. And I am saying, you are not only my Savior, you are my Lord, and I will follow you. I won't just go off of my own gut. I will follow your Holy Spirit's leading. And where you lead, I will follow. Those little neon sheets that you had, if you want to toss those in the offering bags as they come by, I'm going to